This is Score to Death Radio from the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I'm Jay Blake Fischera, the author of the Score to Death books, which feature detailed interviews with 30 of horror's greatest composers. Today, we have a very special show as we begin a multi-part exploration into the music of one of my favorite bands of all time, and one of the main inspirations for my writing the first Score to Death book. Over the next few episodes, I will be guiding you on a journey through the music of Goblin. We will examine various aspects of their nearly 50-year career, starting with today's episode, which will explore their early years as a band and their film and television scores from 1975 to 1977. But my personal journey with the band began in the late 1990s, while I was still in my late teens. I attended a film school just outside of New York City. And though I didn't realize it at the time, because I was just a snot-nosed kid from the suburbs, there was a whole world of cinema I had yet to discover. Now keep in mind, in a lot of ways, the internet was still in its infancy back then. eBay and Amazon were still fairly new, and the only social media was message boards and chat rooms. So access to films and music wasn't anything like it is today. DVDs weren't really a thing, and I didn't even own my own computer. I had to go to the college library to surf the web. But I was in a fairly arty film school. For the first time, I was surrounded by people who were equally as passionate about cinema as I was. And I lived 30 minutes north of New York City and 30 minutes east of one of the greatest video stores of all time, the now-closed Pyramont Pictures. And it was during this time that I fully immersed myself in all things cinema, including horror, and especially Italian horror. I fell madly in love with the films of Lucio Fulci and Dario Argento, and through them discovered the music of Fabio Fritzi and Goblin. And sure, if you were lucky, you might find one of the DRG Records Classic Italian Soundtracks compilation CDs in a record store. But that was rare, and finding full Italian horror movie soundtracks took hunting in New York City record stores, at horror conventions, and on the web. It took finding people on message boards online and physically trading blank cassettes and later CDRs through the mail or just plain ordering CDs directly from Italy, using money orders because I didn't have a credit card yet, which was costly, especially for a poor college student like me. It was a tough hobby, or maybe I should say addiction to have in those days, but I was in love with the films and music of a faraway land, and all the hard work was worth it. And it was that passion that, almost two decades later, led to my wanting to interview the composers who wrote and performed the music I loved and inspired my first book. If it were not for the band Goblin, I never would have written Score to Death, and I wouldn't be doing this show now. So it feels only fitting that we kick off this episode with one of their most popular themes, and the one that started it all for me over 20 years ago. When I saw Dario Argento's Deep Red for the first time, it and its music instantly captured my imagination and sparked an obsession with the music of Goblin. Before we dive into this episode, let's first dive into Profundoroso. Thank you. 
We just heard the cue Profundo Rosso from Dario Argento's 1975 film Deep Red, or Profundo Rosso in Italian. Goblin has a complicated and confusing history, and as wonderful as the internet is, much of its information about the band is vague, often misleading, and at times just untrue. So during the next few episodes, I'm going to do my best to provide a bit of insight into the history of the band, while playing some of the most beloved themes and lesser-known deep cuts from the many scores they composed as a group. But before we get into their immense catalog of soundtracks, I'd like to play a song that the band wrote for what was essentially released as their non-soundtrack Cherry 5 album. of gold, drop of silver rain here. This is a holy place in which I feel the breath of life. I wanna stay here forever.
That was a track called My Little Cloud Land from the 1975, or some reports say 1976, album titled Cherry Five. By the original lineup of the band Goblin, billed here as Cherry Five. Why the band is billed as Cherry Five on this album is still a bit of a mystery, and we will try to unravel some of their convoluted early days in a moment. But first, I wanted to explain why I chose this song. In 1974, 
the band makes a brief cameo playing this song in an Italian drama called La Dotata. Oddly, the scene excludes lead singer Tony Tartarini and instead shows bassist Fabio Pignatelli lip-syncing the lyrics. Historically, this appearance is significant because it is a year before both the Cherry 5 album gets released and the band finds success with their score for Dario Argento's Deep Red. Additionally, with the film containing various shots of posters featuring Pignatelli's face above the word Goblin, it is likely the first public document of the band using that name. So even before they started scoring films, they were involved in film. Before we get into more music, let's dive a bit into how the band formed got the name Goblin, and began working on film scores. I had the great honor of interviewing keyboardist, composer, and one of the founding members of Goblin, Claudio Simonetti, as well as on-again, off-again member and keyboardist, Maurizio Guarini, for the first Score to Death book. So all of the information we're going to discuss today, and also in the future installments of this Goblin series, are things I learned and picked up through interviewing members of the band as well as decades of reading album liner notes and interviews, and probably most importantly, the definitive text on the band, the book Goblin, Seven Notes in Red by Fabio Capuzzo. If you're a Goblin fan, that book is mandatory reading. If you can find a copy, you must add it to your library. Now, it's worth noting that even with all this wonderful research material to pull from, there are a lot of contradicting stories. So some things are still a bit of a mystery but let me see if I can unravel some of their convoluted history for you. The year is 1970. Claudio Simonetti, the 18-year-old keyboardist and son of popular Italian musician and TV personality Enrico Simonetti, is in a rock band called Il Ritratto di Dorian Gray, named for the book The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde, and he meets guitarist Massimo Morante. They form a friendship but don't begin playing music together until 1972-ish, when Claudio Simonetti leaves his band and joins the army. Stationed in Rome, he and Morante begin writing songs and recording demos together. After Simonetti finishes his service in 1973, he and Morante decide to move to London because they are in love with British progressive rock bands like Yes, Genesis, King Crimson, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, and Deep Purple. In London, they meet American singer Clive Haynes and begin to shop around their demo tapes, and actually get interest from Eddie Offord, a record producer and engineer who had worked with Yes, among other bands. This part of the story is a little confusing, but from what I can gather, Offord is interested in their demos, but he wants to audition them as a band. So Simonetti, Marante, and Clive Haynes return to Italy with a plan to find a rhythm section, hone their material, and return to London for an audition. It is at this time that bassist Fabio Pignatelli joins the band. Pignatelli had gained notoriety as a talented bass player because of his work with a band called Le Revelzioni, and because he had played live with the band Flea for several concert dates. Drummer Carlo Bordini also joins the band at this time. Now a complete band, they spend the next few months fine-tuning the songs that Simonetti and Marante had previously written and demoed. They choose the band name Oliver, inspired by one of their songs, and return to England as a polished prog rock band. Now I've already been talking for a while, and I fear all this info might get tedious, and I don't want to lose you. So even though they have yet to record it, let's take a listen to one more track from the Cherry 5 album. And even though it's not from a soundtrack, it did play an important part in their film music career, which I will explain soon.
That was The Swan is a Murderer, Parts 1 and 2, from the 1975 or possibly 1976 album Cherry 5. I want you to remember that eerie middle section of the song, because we're going to be coming back to that in a little bit. But first, let's get back to the story. Upon entering England, Customs commandeers all their music gear. The band pays a large sum of money to get it back, and in the process, Pignatelli's bass is stolen. They rent a flat, secure a theater as a rehearsal space, and begin the long and hard journey of trying to gain some traction as a band in London. They do manage to get in touch with Eddie Offord, who does come to the theater to hear them play. Reportedly, he likes what he hears and wants to work with them, but can't because he has plans to go on tour with Yes. He suggests that they make a new demo tape with the full band and shop it around, so the guys pay for studio time, record a new demo, and begin sending it to record labels. But sadly, after a few months and only a handful of shows under their belts, they return to Italy defeated. Luckily, Simonetti's dad is in the biz and has been recording film scores. He introduces the band, still called Oliver, to Carlo Bixio, the founder and head of Cinevox Records. Bixio likes the demo, wants to record the band, but since Cinevox is at that time only a soundtrack label, he doesn't commit to releasing it on any specific date. The band signs a contract with Cinevox and for some extra money signs a second contract with the label to work as session musicians. Now, this is an aspect of Goblin's history that I find particularly interesting because throughout the 1970s and even into the 1980s, the members of the band play as session musicians, both as a band and separately on dozens of Italian film scores. And I'm hoping to explore that aspect of Goblin's career in a future episode of this limited series. That is, if it seems like you guys are interested in it. But until then, let's get back on track. So, while recording on various soundtracks as studio musicians, they begin to work on their debut album. And at some point, and the who, when, and why are still a bit fuzzy, they change their name from Oliver to Goblin. Each member has a different version of the story, and even Simonetti's version has changed over the years. The stories vary from that it was chosen almost at random from an English-language dictionary to that it was inspired by the Goblins Manufactory, which was a family of dyers known for their tapestry work in the late 1600s. But what Claudio told me is that people at the record label chose the new name. And I tend to believe that because it is somewhat corroborated by Clive Haynes in an interview he gave for the Seven Notes in Red Book. In the past, it's been believed that they changed the name to Goblin when they began working on the score for Deep Red. But again, their appearance in La Notata is proof that it happened at some point before then, in 1974. They begin recording their debut album in April of 1974, but for some reason, Cinevox is unhappy with Clive Haynes' vocals, and the label fires him from the band. He couch surfs in Italy for a while until he and his wife raise enough money to return to England. Tony Tartarini becomes the new singer, and he replaces Haynes' vocals on the previously recorded tracks. The album is finally complete in June of 1974, and Cinevox, unsure what to do with it, shelves it. In December of 1974, drummer Carlo Bordini leaves the band for reasons that are unclear, but I would imagine it had a lot to do with the uncertain future of the band and the album at Cinevox. He is replaced by Walter Martino, who is a friend of Claudio Simonetti's and the former drummer of Simonetti's previous band. Il Retrato di Dorian Gray. Meanwhile, Italian cinema's boy genius Dario Argento, who had found great success by breathing new life into the Italian murder mystery horror genre giallo with his 1970 film The Bird with Crystal Plumage, is hard at work on a secretive new film that finds him returning to the genre that made him famous after the lackluster performance of his 1973 dramedy Five Days in Milan. 
to score his new film, he hires Giorgio Gasolini, an accomplished jazz musician and film composer who Dario Argento had enjoyed working with on his previous film. Unfortunately, Argento is unhappy with a lot of the music the Gasolini is composing and feels that his new masterpiece needs something with a harder edge. He tells his colleague, Cinevox's Carlo Bixio, that he wants Pink Floyd to record the score. Now, depending on which story you go by, either Pink Floyd is unavailable or Bixio tells Argento something along the lines of, why hire a British band to record an Italian score when Italy has great rock bands too? Bixio plays Argento the unreleased Oliver Goblin Cherry 5 record and Argento loves it. He is specifically drawn to the eerie middle section of a song called The Swan is a Murderer. Do you guys remember that song? In fact, he loves it so much that the original Italian trailer for Deep Red actually features that middle section of music, as well as a piano version of the lullaby that Gasolini writes for the film. Simonetti, Marante, Pignatelli, and Martino are hired to go into the studio to rearrange and record some of Gasolini's cues with a more progressive rock feel. Argento is so happy with their work that he asks them to compose some of their own themes for the film. He plays them several records as a loose guide, including Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, because he wants a theme that features an arpeggio similar to the one used in The Exorcist. With the film's release date approaching, the band is given only a few days to write and record the cues that become known as the main theme, Profondo Rosso, which we heard earlier on the show. As well as Death Dies and Mad Puppet. On a side note, I asked Claudio Simonetti if he was familiar with Argento's previous films when they met, and he enthusiastically said yes explaining that he had seen Argento's first film, The Bird with Crystal Plumage, when it came out in 1970, and that he was a big fan. I think that for people outside of Italy, it is difficult to understand how big Dario Argento was, and still is for that matter. 
Claudio equated it to Steven Spielberg asking a bunch of 20-year-old kids to score a movie. And I've heard the Spielberg comparison from even non-horror fans who are from Italy. So I feel like it's worth emphasizing just how big of a deal and life-changing moment this was for these guys. Upon its release, Deep Red is a financial success, and Dario Argento once again breathes new life into the dying Jello film genre. A soundtrack album is released featuring Goblin's original compositions, as well as compositions by Gasolini, two of which were recorded by Goblin. The record and the main theme as a single climb their way up the charts, reaching number one and staying there for 57 weeks. And it's only after the success of the Profondo Rosso soundtrack that Cinevox releases the shelved Cherry 5 album. And again, why they changed the name of the band to Cherry 5 for the album is unknown. But some speculate that it's because the music of Profondo Rosso and the Cherry 5 album are very different and the label wanted to avoid confusion among its consumers. So, finally, let's take a listen to a few cues from Goblin's breakthrough score and see if you can recognize what they did with the opening of this first track.
EDM music offers limitless potential for your creative content. No matter the genre or mood, all the music you need is on one platform. And you don't have to worry about licensing. APM's got that covered. Need help finding the perfect track? APM's dedicated music directors can deliver curated options designed specifically for your creative vision. APM's website uses best-in-class search technology, so finding the perfect track is easier than ever. Find your sound at apmmusic.com. I'm Jay Blake Fischera, and you're listening to Score to Death Radio from the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. We just heard Wild Sessions and Deep Shadows, written by Giorgio Gasolini and arranged and recorded by Goblin, and Death Dies, composed and recorded by Goblin, from the score from Dario Argento's 1975 film Deep Red, otherwise known as Profondo Rosso. As you heard, they replicated that middle section of The Swan is a Murderer for the opening of Wild Sessions. If I'm not mistaken, the music box melody is actually from a music box that Simonetti had since childhood. And Death Dies is such a killer tune. For me, the Profondo Rosso slash Deep Red score is what made me fall in love with the band. And to me, is the quintessential Goblin sound. Which carries over to their next project, a non-soundtrack album called Roller, which we might explore in a different episode of this limited Goblin series. Now, interestingly... After the recording of the score, but before the release of the soundtrack album, Cinevox decides that the film versions of the track Death Dies are not sufficient for the album, I'm guessing because of length, and tells the band to record a new version. By this time, Simonetti and Martino have already started a side project, a trio with bassist Stefano Seri called, and don't quote me on this because I'm unable to find any info that I find 100% reliable, Segundo Generazione. And they decide that doing a radio appearance with their new trio is more important than re-recording a cue for the Profondo Rosso soundtrack. Missing one half of their instrumentation, Marante and Pignatelli bring in drummer Agostino Marangolo and his brother, multi-instrumentalist Antonio, both ex-members of the band Flea, to do the session. For some reason, this causes tension in the band, and Simonetti and Martino leave Goblin. With a hit record out, Marante and Pignatelli, and I assume also Cinevox, want to take advantage of their recent success and get out onto the road to play live. So keyboardist Maurizio Guarini and drummer David Walter are brought on board. Simonetti, allegedly not seeing a future in his new trio, asks to be let back into Goblin. And a few weeks later, David Walter is replaced with Agostino Morangolo. Walter Martino goes on to join the band Libra. This 1975 and 1976 lineup of Goblin, consisting of Simonetti, Marante, Guarini, Pignatelli, and Marangolo, is, in my opinion, probably their strongest. This quintet didn't end up recording a lot, but they did record a non-soundtrack album called Roller, which just might be one of my Desert Island discs. It is also this lineup that recorded music for a Jalo-themed game show called Chai? Question mark. Even after reading a description of the show, I still am not totally sure what it is and how it worked, but apparently it was somehow tied into the National Lottery and it sounds awesome. Let's take a listen to two pieces of music from the show. Thank you. 
we just heard Chai Part 1 and Chai Part 2 from the 1976 Giallo-themed game show of the same name. Bassist Fabio Pignatelli has said that there are aspects of Part 1 that were inspired by Herbie Hancock's Headhunter period. Goblin's next project is likely their most popular. In the spring of 1976, while recording the Roller album, Dario Argento asks the band to score his upcoming film, a stylistic giallo fantastico called Suspiria. Unlike their rushed experience on the Deep Red score, Goblin are brought in very early into the process and are given several months and a sizable budget to compose and record the score. They even visit the set and begin creating music before the filming is completed. Based on the script, the band composes and records pieces of music that Argento uses on set to help inspire the actors. Unfortunately, when the band sees the footage cut together, it is apparent that the music they have recorded is not going to work for the actual film. So they go back into the studio in November of 1976 to officially begin work on what becomes the now-famous Suspiria score. Sadly, those original recordings seem to be lost to time. Maybe we'll get lucky, and they'll pop up in somebody's basement someday. Just a few days into recording, keyboardist Maurizio Guarini gets in a disagreement with the band and leaves. The remaining four members spend the next three months constructing a score that features vocals, synthesizers, a primitive sequencer, and regional acoustic instruments from Greece and India, and combines rock, classical, folk, and even music concrete resulting in a score that is a sonic assault on its listeners and creates an unsettling atmosphere that remains totally unique to cinema even to this day. Let's take a listen to a few cues from what is probably Goblin's most recognizable score, and also their most innovative.
we just heard the main theme from Suspiria, followed by the cues Marcos, Witch Film Version, and Black Forest, from the extended soundtrack release of the score for Dario Argento's 1977 film Suspiria. It's worth noting that the opening of the track Marcos is mysteriously similar to the opening of Philip Glass's music in Similar Motion. Though it's unclear whether or not Goblin intentionally aped it or if it's just a coincidence. One of the directions Argento gave the band was that he wanted a score that made the audience feel the presence of the witches even when they were not on screen. And Simonetti's creepy vocals during the main theme does it brilliantly. But no cue embodies that direction more than Witch, with its howling vocals and synth-augmented choral tones. Black Forest is a track that actually doesn't appear in the film, but instead was inspired by it, and likely recorded for the soundtrack album only to pad out its running time. It also features some saxophone, performed by Augustino Marangolo's brother Antonio, who, as previously mentioned, played keyboards on the track Death Dies on the Profundo Rosso soundtrack album. Coming off a few successes, Goblin is in demand and is hired by producer Galliano Giusso to craft a score for a crime thriller titled La Via della Droga, otherwise known as The Heroin Busters, directed by Enzo Z. Castellari who would later go on to direct a string of wonderful Mad Max and Escape from New York knockoffs in the 1980s. It's actually one of the band's most prolific scores up to that point, and also one of their lesser known. So let's take a listen to a handful of cues from La Via Della Droga.
We just heard a number of cues from the 1977 crime thriller La Via de la Droga, the heroin busters. None of the tracks actually have titles, but for those of you keeping score at home, we heard main title, sequence 2, sequence 10, and sequence 13 finale. Sequence 13 is of particular note because of Marangolo's extraordinary drumming and Pignatelli's unique bass playing. Unfortunately, we may have only scratched the surface today, but we are also out of time. And I've given you a lot of information to digest. Now that we've gotten through a lot of the early history of the band, I promise the next few episodes will definitely be more music oriented and not quite as talk heavy as this one. So please tune in to the next episode of Score to Death Radio to hear part two of this limited series about the band Goblin, when we will explore the next chapter in this extraordinary band's soundtrack history and take a look at and listen to their scores for George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead, Boyo Omega, and more. If you'd like to see a full track list for this and every episode of Score to Death Radio, head over to the episodes page at cinematicsound.net. If you want to keep up with all things Score to Death, you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Score to Death. And if you'd like to check out my in-depth interviews with Claudio Simonetti, Maurizio Guarini, and 28 other amazing film music composers, please pick up copies of my books, Score to Death, Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers, and Score to Death 2, More Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers, which are available in both paperback and ebook. I'm Jay Blake Fischera, and you've been listening to Score to Death Radio on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.